Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Hello and welcome back. Thank you so much for listening wherever you are and whatever platform you found us on. Now, today's topic is one that I know I've touched on with a lot of my guests, but I haven't really dedicated a whole episode to it. And it's a topic that is worth dedicating a whole episode to. So I know I have a lot of high school coaches who are listening and to those who do coach high school. You all know that by the time your players get to you, they will most likely have had multiple coaches and have had multiple people who've guided them on their basketball journey. So knowing that, we know that a strong youth program can flow really nicely into those players being successful at a high school level. And on the other hand, we also know that a poor or a ill-run youth program could lead to a lot of reteaching and could also lead to players maybe losing their love and losing their passion for the game. And we definitely don't want that. So that's why we're going to talk about building a strong and successful youth program, as well as running successful youth camps to build your youth program, because those kind of go hand in hand with each other. And to do that, I'm very happy to be joined by Coach Eric Blazing. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. And and like I said, this topic gets brought up here and there with a lot of the guests that I have, and so it's definitely one that's worth talking about and dedicating a whole episode to. So I'm looking forward to it. So, Coach, to get started, let's go ahead and get a little introduction into your coaching journey and where it's taking you, and then along the way, how running camps or, or running youth programs and has fit into that picture. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate it. Uh, I kind of I love the angle that you're taking with your podcast in terms of connecting with, you know, average coaches um, around, you know, you always, especially during the, you know, the pandemic here, we watched, uh, I watched quite a few different coaching seminars online and, and I'm sure a lot of people did, um, you know, and you get some great nuggets out of those, those seminars, but a lot of times those coaches aren't necessarily high school coaches or they're not average high school coaches. And so I think, uh, you know, it, it's it's awesome that you're giving a voice to people that, you know, aren't aren't on ESPN all the time. Um, so yeah, so I, I started uh, actually coaching while I was in high school. I was I went to a, a private Christian school in Toma, Wisconsin, and uh, I was I was playing there in the way. You know, I knew kind of my junior year of high school. I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and so I was kind of interested. I loved working with youth and loved basketball, um, and thought oh, it'd be kind of fun to to maybe help out a little bit. And the way our, our school was structured, very small. Uh, and so the way it was structured is we had a, a middle school team, essentially like sixth through ninth grade. And then we had a varsity team, a high school team. And uh, our practices were kind of offset. We played back-to-back games. Um, and so it would work out that I could kind of help out. So my senior year of high school, I went down to help out. And um, it was myself and a buddy who was a junior in high school at that point. And what ended up happening, all of our coaches were volunteer uh, parents for the most part. And the coach for the, this JV team wasn't a parent of a JV player anymore. And she'd coached a few years and, and decided that she wanted to kind of take, take a step back. And so it was myself as a senior in high school and my buddy as a junior in high school uh, ended up being the head coaches of this of this JV team. And so we ran all the drills, we ran all the practices, uh, we coached all the games. So we would coach a game 
um, run into the locker room, talk to the team for five or ten minutes, change over, uh, and then uh, go out and warm up for our varsity game. So it's a unique, unique situation, unique league. And so I started out with a unique playing experience and coaching experience there. Um, and so, you know, at this Christian school, I, was at, I lost some of the opportunities. Like we, we weren't part of the, the WIAA, which is the Wisconsin uh, High School Association. And so we weren't part of that. So we didn't get to participate in some of the tournaments and things like that, state tournaments. Um, but, you know, I was able to gain some experiences uh, coaching early on, and that kind of hooked me in, right? That kind of hooked me in. And, um, so from there I went and uh, – so I was there for two years. I coached the JV team for, for two years. And the next year after I graduated, actually, I stepped in as like an interim – uh, head coach for the varsity program because um, they, they had an opening and, and I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to stick around. I was going to go to college here, but I, I stayed home for a year and took some classes in the area and ended up staying and coaching there for for two years. Um, and so after that, I went to uh, Maranatha, which is a, a, a private college in Watertown, Wisconsin. I played football there for a year. And while I was there, I knew I wanted to kind of keep coaching. So I assisted um, kind of right at the tail end of our season. It worked out. I was able to hop on as a middle school uh, B team coach. And so I was coaching a, uh, a middle school there in Watertown, um, was there for a year, decided to transfer and went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, which is a four year school up here in Wisconsin. And so I went to uh, UW Lacrosse and uh, knew I wanted to keep coaching and kind of had a few connections in the area. Um, and so I, I got on as a varsity assistant coach at Lacrosse Central High School uh, on the girls side. So it was my first experience coaching girls. And I was there for two years, and we were a, a decently sized high school. We were about 1,200, a little over 1,200 students. Um, at that point, Wisconsin had four divisions, so we were Division One, which was the biggest. And so we had a little success, won playoff games each year. We, we uh, defeated the number one ranked team in our section, like top five team in the states, um, as an eight seed in the playoffs and won a regional final on the road at their place. So we had a little success. Um, we, we had a lead with about three minutes to go in a sectional semifinal with a chance to you know, put ourselves one win away from state. And, um, you know, as all coaches, I'm sure you have those games that you remember. We, we turned it over. We missed a couple shots. And um, we lost our lead and ended up losing uh, that sectional semifinal to the team that would eventually go to state. And so um, had a little success there. Uh, for Was there for two years. Head coach decided to step down. And so um, I was – kind of looking around for different jobs, interviewed at a couple different places, and uh, was selected as the head varsity coach on the boys' side at Sparta High School. And so Sparta is a town of about 8,000 people. It's about half an hour from La Crosse, so it's right in the western side of the state, so you know about 30 minutes from the Mississippi River. And um, high school of about 750 kids at that point. And so we were Division Two, which is the second largest division, uh, but very small. Division Two was running about like 600 to 1,200. was kind of the range of schools. So we were on the bottom end of that. Um, in a very, very tough conference. And so I was young. I was about 22 years old uh, when I got the job. And, um, you know, you step in at 22. I, I coached her, you know, I'd been coaching for a few years. I, I went to a ton of clinics, ton of camps. I was working a ton of uh, summer camps and connecting with coaches um, and stepped in and uh, to a program that wasn't particularly successful. They had a lot of success in the, a decent amount of success in the 70s, a lot of success in the 80s. Um, they had one winning season. So I took over in 2011. They had one winning season since about 1990. Um, they had, I think, two or three other seasons where they had gotten to 10 wins, but they weren't winning seasons. And so uh, it was a program that was not not seeing success. And it was a very tough conference. It was kind of a metro lacrosse area. is about 
90,000 people probably roughly in, in terms of the metro with lacrosse and a couple surrounding cities. And um, we were about a half an hour half an hour out of that. So it's, you know, a metro conference and is a tough, tough area. We had some great kids, um, decent athletes, but not committed, you know, basketball players necessarily, right? right? They, they, they didn't put in the time. Um, and so, you know, skill development was, was a premium. And I, and I learned real quick, um, mainly through trial and error and error and, you know, you know, failing at a couple different things that we have to, to really put a premium on the, on the youth program and on that. And so, um, I was there at Sparta for four years and then, um, I wasn't teaching. I graduated, um, I was still an undergrad when I started. So I graduated, worked for a couple of years in the area. And then, um, I wasn't teaching yet. I wanted to be a teacher. And so I uh, moved to Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is about 45 minutes north of Madison. And so I, I was a varsity assistant coach on the boys' side for my first year in Baraboo. Um, there's a little two-year college here in town, University of Wisconsin. Um, it's now, now it's called University of Wisconsin Platteville at, at Baraboo, Sauk County. So it's part of uh, Platteville, which is another four-year school here in the state. And so um, hopped on there and was a, a assistant coach um, for three years, kind of in a full-time role as an assistant coach. I mean, I was teaching high school, but um, that was my main coaching coaching role. And then uh, last season, I um, kind of split. I helped out a little bit at the college and went back. They had a new head coach at the high school level who was a first-time head coach. So um, I know, you know, I knew him a little bit, knew the AD a little bit, and, they, and I kind of got asked to, to help out a little bit and um, help guide him uh, through that first year. And so uh, this coming year, um, I'm actually transitioning out of the classroom from teaching to an uh, elementary principal role. So it's going to cut down my, my coaching ability, mm-hmm. um, but I'm hoping to kind of help out a little bit between the high school and the, and the junior college still just to get my my basketball fix. So, um, you know, it's been a, it's been fun. I've, I've learned a ton and, um, you know, got a chance to work a bunch of camp coaching jobs. I worked, you know, University of Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, North Dakota state, uh, Butler. I was at Butler when they were making their final four run doing a summer camp and, um, sat, like actually sat down and talked for about 30 minutes one-on-one with Brad Stevens in his office. Um, and, you know, worked at, you know, University of Iowa and, you know, a few other, few other places. too and just had a you know kind of a uh, an interesting interesting journey from you know my high school days and I, we kind of talked about this before I mean I in my high school league small like parochial school kind of league around the state I mean I played in uh, a cement floor gym because I couldn't afford afford to put wood in the floor yet um, played in a carpeted gym you know my home games I was a shooter so um, you know and I was a decent player I averaged about 15 points a game over my my two years on varsity scored a little over 500 points so I was, I was okay. Um, and you know, I didn't have a three point line in my home games, the way our, we played in like a cafeteria of a elementary school. <laughs> and so, you know, to go from that, to be able to sit down and have a conversation with Brad Stevens was, was kind of surreal. Um, and to be able to run an, you know, my own program at an early age was, was an experience, um, that, uh, definitely, definitely developed me as a, as a person. Um, and so I'm excited to share a little bit about some of that today. Well, yeah, just just in your story uh, of your basketball journey, it's it's taken you a lot of different places, and and you've had exposure to a lot of different types of situations, and in, in your playing career and in your coaching career, and yeah, I can empathize with uh, the the carpeted gyms. I've, I've coached games in gyms that have the carpet and everything <laughs> like that, so I I do know how that goes, and it's just really interesting how your journey can start one place and then before you know it you have this whole resume of all these different camps all these different jobs all these different positions that you've had and and all these experiences that you've built and so 
to touch on that really quickly, I wanted to talk about that mobility that you've had and about the advancement that you've had into different coaching roles and what you have gained from coaching at different levels and what coaches would learn by being flexible in that sense, but also in coaching at camps and coaching at youth camps, skills camps, and what different experiences you got out of that and what a coach would learn by putting themselves in those situations as well. Yeah, no, um, I'll tell you, real, just kind of a side note, one of the best books I've read um, in terms of coaching especially is, is Gino Oriema's uh, autobiography. Um, it's great. It's a, it's a pretty easy read. It's a good read. But just kind of talking about experiences, you know, he came to the U.S. at like six or eight, something like that, and he couldn't speak English hardly at all. He had very little English language ability. And now he's running, you know, one of the most successful basketball programs of any level at any time. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing where you can go. The game can take you in, in amazing places. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, early on my goal, you know, when I started out coaching, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I kind of want, I kind of went a little bit backwards almost. I knew I wanted to be a teacher first and then I decided I wanted to start coaching too. Sometimes, you know, people kind of go that other route, um, which gives the teachers the bad rap, right? Cause everybody knows like if you're a teacher and a coach, you don't just focus on coaching, right? You know, you kind of get that that sense in the media sometimes, but um, there's not very many coaches that are bad teachers, and um, so you have to be able to, you know, to balance those things. So, but I want to knew when I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to be a coach, and then kind of as I started coaching, you know, I really had the idea that maybe I, I could try to coach at college. I really I started, especially since I started doing a few camps and started meeting some different coaches and stuff from around the country. Um, that kind of was a goal of mine to coach at the college level, where wherever that was. And so a great way to do that, if that's something that you're interested in, a great way to do that is co is networking at camps, running summer camps, right? And there's a lot of young guys um, that are traveling the country every year, just working camp after camp after camp. You know, you make a little money. They usually put you up, usually get food with it. And so you can make a little, it's a great summer job for a college kid or, you know, right out of college. And uh, it's a great way to network and get to meet people. You know, I, I uh, had the opportunity to, work, you know, work on a camp. I, I worked with uh, Drew Hanlon, who's about, he's about my age, uh, a little more successful than I am at the basketball mm -hmm. level, but Drew Hanlon runs Pure Sweat, right? Works out NBA guys, and he was working a summer camp in, in Iowa when I was there, Snow Valley, Iowa, which is a, a great basketball school. Um, Don Showalter is one of the big guys that runs it, and so he's a USA basketball uh, developmental leader. Um, and so it's amazing where you can go, these small little camps, and that camp is run I mean, out of, they get like, you know, amazing names there that come and help out in that camp and they run it at a, a small private D3 school in Iowa. And so um, if you're looking to move up the ranks, you know, putting yourself out working camps like that, you're going to meet people from all around the country, um, wherever you're at. And it's going to not only help you network, but it's also going to, you know, kind of expand your, your, your boundaries a little bit and kind of, you know, see what else is out there and what other experiences people have. Um, you know, in terms of my career, you know, I've had the opportunity to coach a little bit here at the junior college level, so I got a taste of what that's like um, in a very low-pressure setting. You know, that was kind of one thing that I got married, um, you know, at like 24, so fairly early. And so some coaches uh, and, and their wives know that, that that's what they want to do, and, and they're going to travel, and, you know, you have to be really be willing to work for free uh, or virtually for free, right? I, I can tell you tons of stories of coaches I know that are at the division one level or um, Juco level or NBA level that started out and they essentially work for free. Right. And so 
you know, for me, my, my journey changed a little bit and I made the decision that I wanted to try to coach at the college level, but, um, I, I wasn't comfortable putting my family through constant moves, the risk of losing your job. You know, I think the pandemic now is, is kind of put an extra focus on that because there's a lot of schools that are closing or cutting athletics, uh, due to this that you wouldn't expect. And so, um, you know, I, I, kind of pulled back my ambitious goals a little bit and I was still you know, fortunate enough I was able to coach at the college level and still coach a little bit at the college level um, even though it's you know a non-scholarship small junior college here but get a little taste of it right um, yeah. and so you know there's there's a lot of great things if you're looking to move up you know learning how to do photo editing is a huge one um, I did I did some video coordination uh, for uh, the football program EW lacrosse was an undergrad there I helped out running their film a little bit um, just because I want to get experience with some of the video editing pieces, because that's that's key when you're looking for entry level jobs in, in the college game. Um, you know, email coaches, write letters, and just ask. You know, it's amazing how many doors will open for you if you just ask. And and you'd be like, you know, that guy, that coach, that person doesn't have time to respond, and uh, they do. You know, they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, if you send a letter to, you know, Gino Oriema, he might write you back. He might give you a call back and it might be a, a foot in the door. So don't be afraid to, to be a, go on a limb in that and just, you know, understand where you are in life, what your comfort, you know, what your comfort level is. Some coaches and uh, their families, they move and they're okay with that. And um, if that's your comfort level, um, you know, you're going to have a little bit more mobility than, than someone who isn't willing to do those things. But um, wherever you're at, you know, I think, and I think uh, we'll kind of come back to this a little bit later, but one thing I always made sure is wherever I was at, um, is I want to make sure that it was the big time, you know, essentially, right? And yeah. so whether I was coaching uh, at the high school level as a head coach at the high school level or I was assistant coach, you know, this tiny little junior college, right? I, I invested in it like it was the Division One school, right? And make sure I, my players knew that I was invested totally in the program. And we, you know, tried to give them extra perks maybe, of, you know, gear, food, or whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, and so as long as you do that, you're, you know, you're going to get more, out of it as a coach, you're gonna get your players gonna get more out of it, and those relationships that you're developing with your players and your fellow coaches, um, you know, those are gonna be the rewarding things. Even though maybe you're not at the level that you hope to be at uh, in terms of development, um, you know, as a person, as a player, you're gonna still get a lot out of it. Well, a couple things that I can definitely back up that you said as, as somebody who took his first job moving halfway across the country because I didn't have anything that was tying me, you know, with, with, in regards to having to incorporate other people in my decision when I I made that move when I was 22 and I had nothing else really going on and I had the freedom and flexibility to take that job. And so I did. And it's a really good point that you mentioned as you get maybe older, your life situation's a little different, you know, you're including family members, you're including loved ones, and then there's other things that factor in it. But if you do have the mobility or you do have the support from those around you to go and take that job and and get your foot in the door absolutely 100 percent agree with that and another thing too that you brought up which i think is so true is that when you just dive in whether it's in a camp whether it's in a new coaching position there's so much that you learn that isn't basketball related. There's so many other skills and so many other things that you pick up and you build along the way as you kind of build your coaching portfolio. And so absolutely uh, to reaffirm what you said, that if you are interested in coaching and you have the flexibility and you're really passionate about doing it, 
just see what's out there. And, and like you said, you'll be really surprised sometimes at how many doors will open as long as you just ask. And as long as you just make it known how passionate you are about this, how much you want to be doing this. And uh, even if it is a, a bigger program, so to speak, if you just ask, you never know what might open up for you. So 100% agree with all of that. So that's great. So we're going to focus today on talking about building a strong youth program and i know within building your youth program there's also the elements of, of the camps that you run and, and different things of that nature so we're, we're thinking about this in the perspective of maybe a high school coach who's looking at their youth program trying to figure out about the players that they have coming up to them so to start in a very broad sense in your opinion, what makes a youth program a successful one? For a new high school coach who's looking at their youth program, what are the things that they want to be looking for to examine their youth program and its effectiveness? Yeah, so, you know, I think the first thing in terms of kind of looking, if you're stepping in, so first of all, do your research. Do your research when you're stepping into a job. And I've interviewed for a few different high school jobs, um, you know, gotten some haven't gotten some um every time though you got to do your research you got to understand what's the community like what's the school like um you know what uh and i've been in that situation where i've interviewed for jobs uh for you know communities i didn't live in or didn't really know that much about and so you know doing doing the research is really going to help you out so uh, like the last job that i interviewed for for a head coaching job um you know i i found the contact information for the youth basketball president and I gave him a call you know, and or emailed him and you know, we set up a time to talk and got a chance to uh, kind of figure out what their what their priorities are what what the program looks like so kind of having that background going into like an interview is, is going to help you understand uh, that too and just kind of know what you know what your priorities need to be when you when you take over um, so I, I think you know numbers is a huge thing so if you look at a youth program and they're struggling and they're only getting you know depending obviously on what the size of your community and the size of your school um but if they're only you know getting a handful of kids in each grade level um that's something that you probably need to look into a little bit if you if you feel like they should have more right is there other programs that are competing for those kids are there people maybe in the programs that aren't um, making it enjoyable for the kids so driving players away or you know what's what's some reasoning there um, so my experiences as a head coach and um, as an assistant coach at the high school level, for the most part, have been in single high school communities. Now, so the two years I was in Lacrosse, Lacrosse is a town of about seventy thousand people. So we have two public high schools and a private high school, and so that one's a little bit different. Um, in Sparta and in Baraboo, it's a single high school community, and so there's no one else drawing our kids away, right? So it's it's easier to to create that pipeline and that path. Um, so stepping into that program, I think the first thing you gotta you gotta have is a plan. You have to have a plan set uh, set up in advance and written down so that you know what you want, right? And so one of those first things is figuring out who's in charge. So um, in both instances that I've had with youth programs, um, there's a a board of directors or you know a, a governing body of some parents and and maybe community members that are interested um, that are kind of in charge of the program, right? And so that has different dynamics. I've, I've been in an experience where they were really uh, easy to work with um, and an experience where they weren't really easy to work with, right? They're real kind of apprehensive. So I'll tell you, I guess Sparta. So in Sparta, I took over and the program um, 
had they had had the last two coaches had actually been there for a number of years. They were there for about five and seven years, something like that, I think, respectively. So they had a little bit of continuity, but um, from so from the 1950s, because there's a history book about the program. So from the 1950, 1955 or so until today, they've had, I think, 19 coaches. Um, and I'm tied for like seventh longest tenure. So there's 12, there's a dozen coaches who didn't make it over three years. Right. And so as a youth program, rightly so, they're a little protective of the understanding that I might, as a coach, you know, they've had all this turnover um, that, you know, they need to protect their, their program a little bit. So they might be a little leery of, of someone coming in. Um, and I wasn't connected to the community. Uh, so that's, you know, a piece too. Um, and so once you kind of understand who's running it, you know, that's going to be a dynamic you're going to have to deal with. Um, don't, don't be, when I started out my first two years, I was involved. I went to, I ran camps. You know, we worked the girls program to run some, you know, uh, Saturday morning programs during the season. We ran summer camps. Um, I went to the basketball youth club meetings that they had. They had monthly meetings. And so I was involved, but I wasn't invested and I wasn't necessarily looking at ways to expand the program. So, in Sparta, um, uh, wrestling was is huge, right? They they did not have a lot of success in basketball for about 25 years. Um, they didn't have a lot of success in uh, football for about 25 years. But the wrestling program had consistently been successful. They either had individuals going to state, or they had a couple even team state runs. Um, and so, it was kind of a wrestling town. And um, you know, as as a high school coach, I'm not necessarily losing athletes in high school but I could be losing an athlete in kindergarten because they were starting their wrestling program at, at the kindergarten level. And at kindergarten, you can kind of wrestle, you know, um, whereas at basket, you know, basketball is a little bit more difficult. And so my last two years, I started to invest in the program, which was one of my, you know, kind of one of my regrets. Like I wish I would have come in and this, you know, hindsight, you know, you take over the first time as a head coach, you know, your first year, you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And um, looking back, you know, I wish I would have invested two years prior because I think, you know, it obviously would have made the program a little bit better. But my last two years, I invested in the youth program. We we added fall camps. We added spring camps. Um, we expanded. We didn't just go, you know, start in third grade. We started with some kindergarten through eighth grade camps. Um, well, we expanded our summer stuff. We ended up actually quadrupling the youth basketball skill opportunities that the kids had. And saw great success. I mean, parents are looking for things for their kids to do. And, and we made it, we made it uh, accessible to them. I think I charged like 15 bucks for like four nights, uh, you know, four different nights of camp. Um, you know, they got a t-shirt out of it. And so we made it priced where, you know, there's a little bit of an investment on the parents part. They had to pay a little bit, you know, it wasn't um, something that they just dropped their kid off and leave, but we also made it accessible that, you know, if, you know, that community, um, both communities I lived in here, I mean, it's not a high poverty rate, but we're in like the, 40% range in terms of like free and reduced lunch and stuff. Right. So there is, there is quite a bit. And so, um, making it, you know, equitable for those families to access them. Uh, the, the skill instruction, um, is, is huge as well. And then just kind of look around and see what, you know, what are some things that are available to you? You know, you have eventually, if you, after you've been there a few years, do you have some former players that can help out? Is there college kids in the area that can help you out? Um, you know, what kind of education can you provide to the parent, parent coaches? Um, so have that plan, you know, have that plan going in. And so I kind of wrote down a few notes here for myself to, to just touch on some things. Um, 
So what, you know, kind of establish what grade level do you want to, to start at? So for us, it was important that we started at kindergarten because um, the wrestling program started in kindergarten. And so if we can get kids opportunities earlier to get interested, um, you know, they might do both for a few years, but then eventually maybe they'll pick, pick basketball over wrestling if it's a good fit. Mm. And, um, you know, that just gets us on our, our path to success a little bit quicker. You know, in a program I took over, so they had won one game. The varsity team had won one game the previous season before I got there. Um, you know, again, they only had one winning season. They had like three double-digit winnings, uh, double-digit wins seasons, but not winning seasons in like the last 20 years. And so, you know, if you step into a program like that, in my opinion, I think you have to look at it as like a decade project. And it might not take you that long, but, um, you know, kind of step into it with the idea that you're going to start with your second, third, and fourth graders really hammer skills. And then in the, you know, seven, eight, nine years it takes them to get into high school, at that point, you know, you're going to have a really solid program, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, and so that starts at that youth level. Uh, one thing I, I did uh, right away is I did kind of establish a checklist of what I want from each grade level, right? And so share this out with your, with your youth coaches. Um, you know, what are the, you know, it doesn't need to be a ton, but what are the half a dozen, 10 skills that you want each player to know in first grade or second grade or, you know, third grade and, and kind of work it up and progress it, right? So in first grade, maybe they're only able to, you know, dribble kind of with their head up. And then maybe by, you know, the next year, they're able to cross it over or do another, you know, change of direction move with their head up, right? And just kind of, you know, build that up um, by each grade level. And as your kids uh, get a little bit more skilled, um, establish what type of drills and, and offenses and stuff that you want your, your program to run, your youth program to run and share those out, you know, put them on paper. Uh, now it's so easy with like YouTube and, you know, different video formats that you could really, you know, not just have it on paper, but actually show it in a video and share that with, uh, out with the youth, youth coaches. Um, I created a guide each year of, you know, here's some drills that we want to make sure we're running. I had the checklist in there, right? Here's what we want the kids to know on each grade level. Here's the drills that we want them uh, running. Here's some, you know, a couple things that offensively or defensively that we do at the high school that would be something that they could do at the youth level. Um, and then one thing I established here um, when I, st I stepped in to help out uh, in Baraboo last year for, for a new coach is we put together um, MPGs is what I called them, but measurable player growth. And so we create a sheet with um, – about, I think I had about five different drills on there. So like a mic and drill, you know, just like a right hand layup, um, left hand layup from the elbow, just some drills that we timed and we set a little time limit to them. And then we uh, asked the players, the youth coaches to do it uh, of various points throughout their, their, their youth season, run these drills and then write down the player's score. So if they could get 10 right handed layups in a minute, um, next time our goal is to try to get 11 or 12 right-handed layups in a minute. Um, and then that sheet, the idea is that that sheet is individualized for each player and that, you know, team's binder can really get just passed on to the next grade level. So whether that coach stays with them or not, um, the hope would be that you could kind of have an idea and see some growth uh, through your players um, year over year. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, I think in education we're very data focused and very, you know, making sure we're keeping up on student data. And I think as a coach, especially now, it does you, the more that you can have actual data to back up your decisions as a coach, um, 
and to help you guide your, you know, your instruction of your players is, is just going to help you out, right? It's just going to help you out a little bit. Um, well, there's a couple of things that really stuck out to me that, that you mentioned. Uh, first off is that if you are a new coach that is, is stepping in, there isn't necessarily going to be some built-in trust by the community members at the younger level, especially if you're not a member of that community. They're not going to know who you are. They're, they're not necessarily going to trust what you're going to say, especially if they've gone through many high school coaches. And so I think it is really important that a high school coach really makes it known how invested they are and how much they care about about the youth and, and, and their youth program and, and the players that are going to be in there. And another part that you mentioned, which I also think is really important when assessing your community, is understanding that if basketball isn't necessarily the strongest sport in the area, is realizing what sport is and and what are maybe they doing at the at the youth level mm-hmm. and, and understanding that if, like you said, wrestling starting at kindergarten, you probably need to start at kindergarten too and, and understand that you're, in a sense, you are competing. Obviously, we want players, most coaches want players to do multiple sports, but we want to make sure that we're putting that love of the game in our players. And then something else too that, that you alluded to is that you want to build that youth program, but it's going to take time for it to see results. And by the time that it does see those results, you may not be the coach there anymore, but that's okay. And like, you have to be okay with that as well. Yeah. It's kind of like stocks. It's kind of like, you know, you invest in some stocks and, um, you know, sometimes they're going to pay off and sometimes they're not, but most likely whether, whether your stocks work or not, it's, it's a few years, right? You know, it takes some time to get there. You're investing. Um, and yeah, I think that's where you kind of have to look at it, that you're given, you know, you're kind of giving back to the game a little bit. Like you're, you're setting up future players for success and hopefully, you know, maybe they're your players. Uh, maybe they're somebody else's, but, um, you know, you're, you're investing in them. And that's where I think you got to make it a little bit more outside of basketball. So um, with all of our youth stuff, we try very hard to make it growth mindset or process driven. Right. And that uh, like when I was running, we ran some summer or some spring camps and stuff last year. And we did a little like uh, youth league that I, I kind of took over and ran for the, for the youth, for the program here. And so I led the drills and the practices and stuff. And I made sure to be very intentional with all those to talk to the players, you know, second, third grade that, hey, it, it's okay to fail, right? We are, we're here to get better. We're not here to, you know, obviously you're not going to have success um, the moment you step on the court if it's something that you haven't tried, right? And so, you know, we would do some maybe more difficult type of skill development drill, you know, two ball handling, right? Two ball drills and stuff like that, that would be tougher for them. Uh, one, to, to get them a little bit used to that and, to try to get them a little bit better coordination and, and things like that. But two, also to give them something that they're not going to be very good at. Um, so that way we can hammer the point that it's okay to fail and that um, we're here to get better and we're here as a team to get better and encourage your teammates and your coaches are going to encourage you and you work hard. And if it's something you're not very good at, then that's something to work harder at. And so those type of skills, um, you know, if you're no longer the coach down the road, if you've done a good job of laying in those type of resiliency skills and things like that, that's going to benefit those kids, right. um, which is ultimately our goal as a teacher and a coach. Well, that 
brings up the the other point then for for coaches to consider and i think most of them do i think most of them are are aware of this but you definitely don't want to be trying to install like your offense or your defense into like your first or second graders for a variety of reasons but understanding that they just need the general skill set right and if they have that general skill set in theory they should be able to apply that into any system that that they're get put in when they get into high school yeah so yeah we focused on so and my numbers are a little off here but ballpark i've heard this before um in Europe, they run, it's like almost like four to one, right? They almost do four, four to one ratio of skill development to games played. And in the, you and I, you know, in the United States here, it's almost the opposite. We're like one to four. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we, we play a ton of AAU games. We play a ton of tournament, you know, when you have a youth tournament up here anyway, how it works with our youth teams is it's, uh, you know, mostly parent volunteers and they'll play, they'll practice one to two nights a week. And then they go play a Saturday tournament where they're playing like five games. Um, and so, you know, they've played five games to, you know, so they've spent five to six hours probably playing basketball on a Saturday compared to three hours of practice time during the week. And so, you know, that's a, a little bit backwards than what it should be. And so that's where as a head coach, you identify some of those skills that you want to teach. Um, yeah, please don't run zone defense at, at the youth <laughs> level. Um, because your players, even if you are a very good zone team um, at the high school level, and that's all you're ever going to run, at some point you have to learn how to guard your man, even if it's within a zone. And so, you know, teaching them how to play those those spatial concepts that take a little while for kids to understand, if you can get that, you know, at the younger younger levels is is huge. And so we always focused on ball handling. We did a lot of uh, different things, all positions, all grades. So if you have a six foot two fifth grader he needs to learn how to handle the ball because he may stop growing right and so um you know we did tennis ball work we did two ball drills um as they get a little bit older you could even incorporate like one on two drills to get them to uh, be able to handle the ball and keep their head up right um cone drills you know things things that are going to help them get their head up um be able to see the floor and and be able to make some decisions Uh, we focused a lot on shooting uh, we worked on form all the time, form shooting. Um, we were fortunate in Sparta. We were fortunate that we had some hoops that were lower, so they would like hook on to the rim of the main basket. There were these, these little little tiny hoops, and they could they could be lowered though. Uh, they or they brought the rim down to like the eight foot level. And so for K two, that's huge because I mean, kindergartners want to shoot the ball too, um, and they they can't very well. So we used you know smaller basketballs. We had lower hoops. Um, really even third grade, you probably should still have the hoop a little bit lower. Although I know in most youth leagues, uh, at least in our area that they play on a 10 foot hoop, even in third grade, um, which is still really not development, developmentally appropriate. Um, so if you can get access to lower hoops, uh, that's going to, that's going to help, uh, really hammer footwork. You know, that's one thing kids, you know, definitely are, are learning a new skill. And so getting that footwork down is going to be huge. Um, and then as a coach, just kind of figure out your, your form goal, right? You know, you're, what do you want your kids' shots to look like? And research it, right? You know, research is that you have a solid concept. Um, and then just kind of continually hammer that over and over and over. So that way, each grade level, if you're te- always constantly teaching them the same form and kind of using those sound bites, you know, coaching sound bites. So give them quick little things, you know, like beef. Everyone's probably heard of beef, right? And so, you know, giving those quick little things where they can they can check their their form, 
an easy to remember way and it's consistent in every grade level so they hear it in second grade they hear it again in third grade fourth grade uh, then you'll you'll hopefully see some consistency over time and then ultimately like the most frustrating part probably that if you and if you're coaching now you understand this um, if they can consistently make a shot in a game so in a game setting if your players are consistently hitting shots so you'll probably whatever you want to set that at 60 percent 70 percent and they have terrible form you may have to let it go. <laughs> you know, you may have to be, you may just have to be okay with that player's form not being great, but they hit 60%, 70% of their shots. You know, every player's is a little bit different. And so, you know, it might, it might, their form might look a little bit different. Um, but in a game setting, if they can do that. Now, if you have a kid that has not very good form and they tell you that they can, and they can shoot 60 or 70% spot shooting in practice, but then in a the game, they only shoot 30%, you know, that's a situation where you probably need to, you know, again, have that data, you know, as the kids get older, have that data that you can show them a little bit. Um, and you probably want to address some of that shooting form. But, right. you know, focus on trying to teach those decision-making skills, like you said. Like, I mean, I, I always shared some stuff that we did offensively and defensively with our youth coaches, but I didn't require it. You know, there was a couple things that we'd say, hey, we'd like, you know, you know learn how to, you know, do some motion, um, you know, pass and cut, um, you know, pass and screen, you know, some of these types of concepts that we want to do. But it was – um, teaching them decision-making skills and teaching them concepts and not X's and O's um, because you want them to be able to, to make those plays. Because at, at some point you're going to get in a situation where you don't have a timeout and, you know, it's a tie game or you're down by one and you need your players to be able to make decisions um, when they can't necessarily run a set or yeah. they don't run it right. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree with that and, and just getting them the skill set. And I think that in general – when players at a youth level are playing those games and even up to middle school, like the wins aren't that important. Like you'll, you'll yeah. sacrifice, you know, a, a win in fourth grade for development of, of the right skills and, and, and the right basketball knowledge. And so I a hundred percent agree with that. And so speaking of that, your, your answer made, made me think of something about those youth programs who maybe they they're, they have a practice a week and then they maybe play a game or so on the weekend and there's a whole wide array of, of coaches and usually it's just parent volunteers. And so in, in your experience in working with youth programs, is there a lot of work that you did with those coaches at, at the youth level, understanding that their own basketball knowledge may be somewhat limited or do you just kind of let them do what they need to do, understanding that you might give them like a little bit of guidance, but it's ultimately like do the best you can and thank you for even doing this in the first place. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. That's a fine line. Uh, that's a very fine line. Um, and that's where I think the more established you are as you get into the program, you know, I think early on you, you your first, if you're someone that's stepping into a role where you're not already a part of the community or already a part of that program, um, it looks a little bit different. You know, if you've been an assistant coach in the program for 10 years, then then that's a little bit different. But, uh, you know, using my example, I stepped into a head coaching role for a, a community that I was familiar with because I lived in the area, but I, I wasn't from the community. Mm. And so in that instance, uh, it, the first year or two, you probably just have to make the best of what you have. Um, as you get more invested, then I think you have more opportunities to look and see, okay, you know, this this parents, you know, they're volunteering their time that's awesome, you know, that they're, they're trying, but I have an ex-player now, I have a, a, you know, there's, maybe there's a college in town, and there's some college, there's, you know, there's college kids that are looking to get into coaching, and, you know, there's different avenues that I could tap into to maybe find someone better, 
maybe not to replace this other coach, but maybe to pair with them, right, and give them some support. Um, or as you learn about, I mean, there's going to be former coaches in the community that, you know, coached at maybe the JV level or the freshman level that aren't coaching anymore, you know, different things like that. Um, so I always put together a youth program, essentially, you know, a manual for the coaches and said, hey, you know, by grade level, this is the skills we want to do. Here's a bunch of drills that address those skills. Um, offensively, uh, my, my last couple of years, I did share with them like a read and react uh, program as an offensive system. Um, basically it's, you know, five out motion or, and it can be run five out, four out, three out. It, it doesn't matter, but there are set rules in the motion on pass and cut, you know, some screening rules and things like that just to help kids make decisions. And so, um, very loose in terms of, um, specific guidance, but, um, some offensive guidance for them. We did, um, uh, coaches clinics. And so, um, you know, have them come into a practice, have them, you know, have them come into a practice and kind of watch, watch some things and, and setting up that practice to be very skill specific, right? So we, you know, it wasn't just a, a regular practice, right? We, we had our players running specific skill type drills that we could show the coaches, here's what it looks like in a, in the live fashion. You could do that live, right? Or you could video it now. I mean, with YouTube and all that, it's so easy. You know, you could, you could film that. I, I started that a little bit, never really, I, I didn't really invest the time into it um, as much as I could have. And so if you have the time, you know, get with your players in the summertime or early in the season, help, help, you know, have them help you film some of the drills and things like that and share those with your, with your youth coaches. Uh, a lot of times now teams even have, you know, you have websites or the youth teams have websites now and with like sports engine or whatever platforms are you're using, you can have restricted access pages in your in your website where the coaches could sign in and you could share all that to them in a, you know, in a website format that they could access at any time too. Uh, but yet it's kind of password protected. So everyone can't come in and see your stuff. Right. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of great options for that, you know, out there now. Um, you know, ultimately I think you just have to look kind of what, what your situation is and um, remember that even your parent coaches, they really just want what's best for the team and for their kids even though it doesn't always come off that way. <laughs> yeah. And um, so try to have that empathetic mindset and kind of put, try to put yourself in your shoes because it's pretty easy to, to not do that. And so, um, you know, you just have to understand that parents, you know, and you'll deal with this with your high school players, um, parents kind of lose sight a little bit of what's going on when it, when it comes to their, their, their kids and, and sports, some parents, right? Not all parents, yeah, but some yeah. parents do. And so, um, you know, that's where you just have to try to step back and, and make what's the best decision for the program. Well, I think that's really important to, to keep in mind too, especially if you do have parents who are, you know, gracious enough and giving up the, their time to, to coach and maybe they're coaching, um, because their their child is on one of these youth youth teams well that parent's perspective may be that they're coaching because they want to be around you know their son or daughter and they enjoy it that way but they're not necessarily looking like big picture about the the high school program and don't necessarily have the investment to the level that a high school coach would they're just there to rightfully support their son or daughter and, and, and be around them more. And, and, and basketball is just one of the things that they get to do in order to spend more time with their, with their child. And so you're absolutely right about building those relationships and making sure that you're 
walking that fine line, like you mentioned, and, and really just getting to know your parents and getting to know the members of the community. And, and with that, I'm kind of tying in two questions here at once. One of the things that I think is a, a challenge, but it's a really awesome challenge to, to conquer, is making your camps and making your youth program fun and enjoyable to where players want to continue to come back and at the same time growing that program and promoting that that camp so that the word gets out to others and so i'm going to tie both in together in your experience what keeps players especially at a young age coming back year to year and how can a coach kind of promote that camp and promote their um a program in a sense their youth program so that the word gets out and that that people know that this is an awesome enjoyable experience that you'll also get to learn about basketball as well yeah no great question so the first thing i think you have to really get across to your youth pro program when you take over is that from you know kindergarten through jv level wins don't matter right and that that's and you have to phrase it uh, maybe a little bit different because you know that turns people mm -hmm. off but Wins, wins don't matter at fifth grade because I've been around a lot of programs and I've seen a lot of programs either been a part of them or talked to other coaches who've had them right where their parents just boast about man we you know we won fifth grade tournaments or we won five fifth grade tournaments but we only lost one fifth grade tournament right um, and then they get to the high school level and their teams aren't very good um, and you know ultimately your job at the youth level is to get them better with the skills that they need to to become a successful varsity player you want to give them some life skills some resiliency and you know just some um you know trying different things right and uh, communication and cooperation all these types of things um and then also you know ultimately they need to have fun right they just need to have fun and you know we've we've kind of we've hurt ourselves a little bit in our society and that we've structured a lot of play uh, instead of just letting kids have free time to go play and so they need to have fun and so um up through especially middle school you know those you know once you get into high school it's a little bit different but up through seventh grade eighth grade um you know the kids need to have fun and so uh as a head coach stepping in i think the first communication that you have to have with your youth levels at our job here is to build um successful young people and um you know we we need to to build them to be successful at the basketball court and in life and so we want them to have some fun and so in terms of uh, leading that personally um is enthusiasm right kids love it love it yeah you know, I'm, I'm a high school teacher um i had to train myself to be enthusiastic mm -hmm. in terms of like an elementary level camp right and you have to be okay with kind of making a fool of yourself and just being exciting and you know just bringing a lot more energy right just having a lot more having a little bit more fun right don't, don't take yourself so seriously and so uh, that took a little bit of work for me to, to do because it's just a little bit different than what I was used to. And so, you know, that's the first thing is, be, you know, being enthusiastic, you know, coming at, at the players with, with a, a fun attitude. Um, make it competitive. You know, kids, even in kindergarten, they're competitive. And so, you know, have, uh, you know, your dribble skill work include, you know, relays or uh, maybe time, you know, maybe how many, 
you know, how many good crossovers can you do in 15 seconds, right? Or whatever, whatever you want to do, be creative and make up some, some competitions that incorporate your skill development too. Right. Uh, same thing with shooting, you know, you know, first to 10 at this basket, right? And then it's a team relay and, you know, so different things that you can do like that, right? Um, help kind of, you know, make it more fun. It's not, you're, you're not just dribbling to dribble, right? And you're not just doing, uh, you know, some, kind of you know boring right from the kids perspective boring drill that you know is really important but if you can find a way to make it more competitive uh to even make it more game-like bring in some of those decision-making skills um and you know give the players a you know a little bit more uh competitive atmosphere that they will they will like that and then also i think you do have to be honest with the kids even in first second grade and let them know that sometimes everything you do in basketball practice isn't going to necessarily be your favorite or fun Mm -hmm. but um, you have to do, you know, you have to get better at this so that way you can be better in the game. And, and I think if you, you know, constantly reinforce those things and say it's okay to fail, you know, that, it, you know, teach that resiliency skill and things like that, um, that that's going to, that's going to pay off, uh, getting your players involved. So at the high school level, having your high school players involved, coming to camps, coming to these youth practices and helping out is huge, right? The kids love it. They're rock stars. They think they're in the NBA. Um, and you know, and so that's, that's big. We did, um, an in-house league. We started here in Baraboo last year. So we played three on three games for our third and fourth graders and five on five for the fifth and sixth graders. And we had our players, um, kind of help out as like coaches for the teams. They helped out with our practices. They helped out kind of coach some of the teams. They refed a little bit. And so the players love seeing them. The youth kids love seeing the players at those things. Um, and that kind of answers your second question a little bit too. It kind of helps promote yourself in the community. And so, you know, if you can, the more you invest and spend time in your youth program, um, those parents are going to understand that you care and that you're invested in their kids and the program. And they are going to be on your side, most hopefully, most likely, mm-hmm. they're going to be on your side for a while, right? And then eventually they're going to get into high school and you're not going to play their kid and they're going to hate you. Um, but you can buy a little time by really investing in, in their kids and showing them that that you do care about their, their son or daughter, even though they're in fourth grade, right? And, and you don't directly coach them. Um, and so in terms of promoting yourself in the community, being visible, branding is big. I always... I'm a big kind of logo guy, so I want to create, um, take, you know, if there isn't already a logo, you know, create one or take the logo that's there and maybe tweak it a little bit to be very boys basketball, girls basketball specific, um, that's your team logo. And so having that social media presence, um, you know, maybe, you know, set up a YouTube channel to share out with, with, you know, the community and, um, Having your players help out the youth thing is big. We always did a poster night and have the you know the kids it was like youth basketball night and they come to the game and then they sign the varsity players are signing posters after the game right they love that stuff. Um, we had ball boys and ball girls, um, so they came and visited the locker room, got to be part of the warm ups right. They sat in the bench with us a little bit. We took a picture of it, so you know we took a picture of the varsity team with our ball boys that night and then that went out on social media. Um, and so, you know, we connected that with our youth program. So we're working with our youth coaches to help get kids signed up for this. Um, doing community service projects, right? So, you know, leaf removal for people up here, snow removal, you know, sh- snow shoveling. I know like our football team goes around and shovels some um, after big snows. Um, you know, connecting with the elementary schools for tutoring. So one thing, my first job in Sparta when I was a head coach there, my first job out of college was running an after school program. And so that was my full time job. And so even actually before I got that job, 
but definitely once I took over the youth pro or the, the after school program, uh, we set up a court to class, we called it. And we mm-hmm. had our kids come in and uh, tutor, help tutor a couple days a week at this after school program. You know, and you can do that during the school day, maybe get a chance to, you know, get your kids out of school and go read to an elementary school class and those type of things. Uh, those are all things that not only did help your players and they help your youth, but that it looks really good in the community, right? And so, um, you know, you're, you're teaching your players to give back and become part of the community and, and all that stuff just, you know, also helps the community show that you're invested in, in them. Yeah, no, that's some really great advice in that if you really want to build your, your youth program, you really need to be visible in so many ways just outside of basketball, if the things that you do, or just be really creative in, in what you do, like you mentioned about bringing in your players or having the, the youth players come and, and, and see your players um, play in some regard. I, I think that that's really important in that there's so many things for for younger kids to be doing there's so many things for their parents to get them involved in and in in a sense you really have to promote yourself really well to a parent to have them understand that hey this basketball camp that we're doing is worth your time and that you are going to get something out of this and it's going to be a really enjoyable experience that you want to continue to come back to and i feel like it could sound almost like competitive in that, you know, you're competing maybe in your case with like, like wrestling or, or, or baseball or soccer and then basketball and, and all of these things. But you almost, it sounds like you have to kind of separate yourself in some way and, and, and almost present what you're doing as you're going to get this here. And whether you implicitly or explicitly state it, you're not going to get this through this other experience is, is is that kind of correct in that way of yeah yeah so i mean when i when i you know when you kind of lay it out like i kind of lay it out business like right so it sounds a little disingenuous <laughs> but you so your foundation has to be the correct thing so you really have to be investing so i always strive to do a ton of leadership development um and like intentional non-basketball leadership lessons uh, activities, development type things that we did with our varsity team. And so that was our foundation. And so um, my goal was to get more athletes to be a part of those things that are going to help them off the court. Because ultimately the best, you know, even at the varsity level, right, winning doesn't matter. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. how many state championships you have ultimately doesn't matter if, you know, you're not developing your players to be better people. And so that has to be your your, your foundation. And then, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of marketing to it. So you need, you do, you do want to, um, you know, I, I wouldn't advise anybody to directly compete with another program in your school, like openly, <laughs> but you do want to, you know, let them know that, you know, hey, we're, we're teaching our people to be better players. Um, we're also teaching them to be better people. And, um, you know, we, get, we have fun where we have a community connection that we're, you know, we're sharing with each other and we really want you to be a part of our program. And, um, just kind of showing those things um, helps to build that, build that too. And then, and then you do want to do a little promotion. You do want to get, you know, a little bit of promote, you know, your logo out there and, and get people talking about your program in positive ways. Yeah, no, a hundred percent agree. And that, that word of mouth spread is, is so, so key because when other people are saying how effective your program is or how great of an experience it is, yeah. I feel like that's the the best form of marketing. And so, 
uh, I, I want to talk really quickly about being on the court for, for coaches to keep in mind, because I know many coaches may not have a lot of experience working with youth or working with kids at a, at a really young level. So I wanted to get your thoughts on for that coach who may be working with kindergartners, first graders, second graders uh, yeah. for the first time. What are they going to find in terms of teaching things maybe on the court that are going to maybe be a lot more difficult than they thought because uh, they're like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, this would take so much time. But, you know, it may, it may have been a, a while for coaches to who, who have maybe they've never worked with kids at that level. So I'm just curious your thoughts on yeah. what the learning curve might be for things on the court. Um, get as much help as you can and break up your group as much as possible. So like K2 especially, right? Um, so I'm trying to think back. Our numbers were probably 30 to 40 kindergartners, K2 kids in our little camps that we started running. So we had really good response. And um, I had, you know, myself as a head coach, I had at least a couple of my assistant coaches there or JV coaches, um, and then as many players as I could get. Now, the difficult thing is a lot of times you're doing these camps out of season, right? So you're doing like we did spring and fall and, and stuff. And so you, it takes a little coercion maybe, you know, to get some of your players there because they're already involved in other sports or there are other things going on. Um, but if you can get as many of your players there and have your other coaches there, uh, part of it, that helps because, it, you know, you kind of divide and conquer a little bit. Um, you know, with with the kindergarten through first grade for sure, and I'd even say maybe second grade too, I, I didn't spend a ton of time. I, I really capped it. I felt like 30 minutes is a little too short. Mm -hmm. An hour is a little too long though. So we kind of went about 45 minutes. But I would say you could do an hour. You know, 45 minutes to an hour is, is plenty of time in a gym for a kindergarten through second grade. Um, and, you know, you, you need to keep it moving. So I wouldn't, you know, you don't spend more than a few minutes, five minutes probably max on any one, one drill. You know, maybe you're doing this, you know, similar things. Maybe you do ball handling for 15 minutes. But every three or four minutes, you're changing up how you're doing ball handling to keep keep that attention going right. for the kids. And that kind of comes back into keeping it fun, right? You know, you're not doing a monotonous drill for 10 minutes um, because, you know, that's not going to be fun for a six-year-old. Um, and so, you know, having that, you know, that variety in your drills, you know, maybe you're still teaching the same skill, but you're having some variety in how you're going about teaching it. Um, you know, the biggest thing is is – explanation right so at, at the k2 level um exp, you know you you know you bring your kids together have them sit down and, and really kind of run it you know the, the good thing in k2 is they they have some experience in the classroom um so you can kind of draw on that and really um teach it like a classroom setting so you know you were going to demonstrate the new drill you're going to have all your kids come to the hoop they can sit down right and you know explain to them or you know model for them that you know they're they're keeping their thoughts to themselves. If they have a question, they raise their hand, right? And those type of things. Um, and so as you demonstrate the drill, you can kind of explain it to them, but you have to be very explicit in how you explain it to them and then have someone demonstrate so that they can see what you want them to do um, and kind of reinforce it that way. Because if you just come out and, you know, say, hey, we're going to do this. And, and if you explain the drill like you're explaining it to your 10th grade team, you know, they are going to understand <laughs> what you're doing. So you have to be very explicit with it. Um, and, you know, ultimately just, you know, be enthusiastic. I mean, that's that's kind of the biggest thing is is be outside of yourself. If you're not an enthusiast, you know, kind of an you know, extroverted type person, I'm not very extroverted. So if you're not an extroverted type person, it takes a little effort maybe to get yourself out of that comfort zone. But um, 
know, having that energy and enthusiasm is going to be is going to be huge. Um, and yeah. then just having realistic, you know, realistic expectations. You know, <laughs> if if you don't have low hoops, if you don't have the access to smaller basketballs than like a men's size basketball, if you're you know, if you're on the boys side, um, you know, being able to get access to to lower hoops or smaller basketballs is going to help. If you don't have it, then just have expectations that you know your kids aren't going to your your shooting is going to be a lot tougher K two if you're shooting on a ten foot hoop, and um, you know their ball handling is going to be a lot tougher if they're having to use a, a full size basketball. Well, I, I really appreciate that you reemphasize the the enthusiasm aspect because really that that's that's just so important is that you're having fun and that the kids are having fun and that you don't necessarily look maybe at times as to what you're doing with your kindergartners or your first graders or your really young ones is necessarily like crucial, crucial skill development, but more so like getting them invested into wanting to play basketball and to keep playing basketball and just being in, in love with the game and, and being interested in it because uh, there's so many, like I mentioned earlier, there's just so many opportunities and things for uh, really, really young players to get involved in. And so to have them be able to associate basketball with this like fun, exciting, enjoyable experience I think then the, the the skills will come and the investment in learning those skills hopefully uh, will come if that enthusiasm and if that excitement is already built in. So yeah, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of tying it back to the promotion thing too is always have something, if you can, if you're running a camp or a, you know, a, a skill development session or something like that, always have something that the kids can take uh, with your logo on it, right? Because that kind of helps build in your branding and get the kids excited. So, I mean, t-shirts are easy, right? T-shirts are an easy way. They're going to wear them to school. So if there's kids that aren't or the friends that aren't into basketball and they see them wearing this cool shirt and they might ask them about this shirt, right? Um, and then that's kind of a draw to get them into um, maybe having someone else join your program later on. Uh, or we did water bottles one year. We did little sack packs one year. You know, there's there's tons of cheap options out there where you can you can brand it with your logo. It's something that the kids can use, and it's something that gets your your logo out there. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, that word of mouth promotion, and and then the logo being visible and the logo being associated with your program or your camp is is huge. And that that's a huge uh, piece to to marketing and getting getting your name out there. Um, before we get into our concluding segment coach i want to make sure that you got out any uh everything that you wanted to or as much as you wanted to so is there anything that i didn't address or is there anything that you wanted to to bring up about running a youth program or running youth camps that you that you really want to make sure our audience hears before i get into my concluding segment um no you know i i think the only thing i would kind of maybe add um is is it you know be be invested in the youth program and i think it's important as much as you can so if you're in a single single high school community it's a little bit different than you know if you're in a multi-high school community that looks a little bit different but let's say you're in a single high school community or even in a multi-high school city where you have direct feeders um i think it's it's your responsibility even though it's a it's a ton of time that you it's not on the job description necessarily and you don't you don't get paid for it um <laughs> but investing that and being visible in your program is only going to pay off for you. Um, even if it doesn't mean that you're getting, you know, more players, um, that commitment to the program is going to make, you know, those players feel that you are invested in their development before they ever get to you at the high school level. And so that's, that's huge. Um, and then just bringing in as many decision type, you know, decision-making skills and drills into it, right? So playing two on two, three on three, one on one, 
Um, a draw I picked up this year actually with uh, the coach I was assisting with, uh, he had one-on-one blind. So the player started, uh, the, the, the player on defense was facing the basket, you know, free throw line or wherever. The player on offense has the basketball and the basketball's on the back of the player on defense. And so the offensive player pulls the basketball off the player's back. And as soon as the basketball is pulled off the defender's back, it's live. And so the defender has to now, you know, turn around and then react to those situations. And so, you know, even in kindergarten, first and second grade, it's going to take a little bit of training, but you can, they can do that. They can play two on two. They can play some three on three and, you know, building in those decision-making skills and just helping players learn how to play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. hundred percent agree. And, and I think that those are all excellent points to bring up and excellent things to consider, especially because we're, we're building and, and everything that we're doing with building that youth program kind of builds on itself. So absolutely. Um, great. So coach to, to wrap up what I want you to share is a coaching moment that you think that others listening would be able to learn from. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot, I'm sure anybody who's coached, you've got a lot of moments, uh, you know, go with your gut in a timeout. Yeah, I've always, I always do that in the game. You're like, man, you only have a limited number of timeouts, right? And like, oh, I don't want to burn it this early. And then, you know, sure enough, team hits another three. And then you know, you're like, I should have burned that timeout. Um, but in terms of like bigger picture, I think, um, uh, be, be, don't just be involved, but be invested in your, in your program. And since we all kind of stick with youth, youth, since we're talking about it. So my first two years, my head coaching experience at Sparta, I was involved. I was, I was at a ton of the youth stuff. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't absent. I was there. I led it. Um, but I was, I was involved, but I wasn't invested. I wasn't looking for extra opportunities to create, um, op, you know, for, for our players. Um, and so, you know, be, be invested in, in the program. And, you know, like we kind of talked about it, you may not be there when those players get up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you aren't, then, you know, you're going to have some, some pride. So I was there for four years. Um, we didn't see a ton of on-course success. We got better. Um, you know, we, in that league, we didn't get a chance to talk about it. In that league, I mean, we played against, uh, I had, there's uh, two NBA players that came out that I was coaching against. Um, there's probably a dozen division one, either football, or basketball players that we played against. And, um, we didn't have any of that in our program. Um, some major league baseball players coming out of that league, right? So they were, the skill level, the teams that were playing was much higher than ours. So we, we got better skill, skill wise. We got better. Um, we became better basketball players. We didn't get the wins. Mm. I didn't get the instant gratification, but, uh, in the six years since I've been there, um, they've, had a winning season they've had a couple seasons where they've got to 10 wins and they started to see some of that success and so you know there's a lot of people that put a lot of time into it but you know i feel that my investment in their youth program at least helped to lay down the foundation um to maybe turn the corner a bit for them right so even though i'm not there i can at least take pride that we did the right things and we started down the right path Uh, and one of my assistants is the head coach now so he was a part of us doing some of that. Um, and so, you know, even though you're not there, uh, being invested, you know, it'll, it'll still pay off for you down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just knowing that, that you're doing the right thing and knowing that you're coaching for the right reasons, because even not at the youth level, uh, at, as a coach, even at a high school level, like you never know where things are going to take you and that you might end up with a new job that next year or something else might happen. And just knowing that you did the right thing. And so, 
you put those uh, foundations in place or you're, you built the team and you built the culture the way that you wanted to, whether it's at the youth level, middle school, high school level, so that at the end of the day, when you're done at that particular school, you can hold your head up high and, and just know that you did the right thing and hopefully helped either continue a foundation of success or create one that, that will be a really positive impact for that school for years to come long after you're gone. So yeah, 100% agree. That's great. And so to wrap up, Coach, I, I give every coach uh, their, their 60-second soapbox to get out there, their final thought, final idea, closing message to our audience. So, Coach, the floor is yours. All right. Pressure. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of was reflecting on this a little bit, and I think I wanted to come back to the point that we're, we're developing people, not players, right? So whether you're at the high school level, middle school level, elementary level, uh, you're, we're developing people, not players. And so our investment has to be in developing those players to be um, better people outside of the, uh, outside of the game of basketball, right? Cause ultimately the game of basketball doesn't matter. Um, and so we are teaching those life skills that, um, can help those people become, you know, contributing citizens, hopefully future teachers, coaches, you know, whatever the case might be, um, and that they have a good foundation. Right. And so I always was very purposeful on teaching leadership skills and life lessons to my players to the point that we did, you know, we even did some slideshows on it. We had, I've had them written down in my practice plan that they were talking about this today. Um, and so, you know, ed, I wanted my players to be educated, to be reflective and have a purpose in their life. Right. And so kind of given where we are in terms of society at this point, summer of 2020, um, you know, you're going to have players and situations that uh, are going to come up regarding like the national anthem. And so, if your players are kneeling or not kneeling um, because they saw it on TV or it's just cool, that that's not good enough, right? They need, as the coach and as the adult, it's your responsibility to guide them to the reasons why they're they're doing what they're doing, right? And ultimately, you may be the only invested adult in their lives that they listen to, right? Hope, yeah. Hopefully not, but but you might be. And so, um, you know, whatever stance your players might choose to take around a controversial issue, as long as they have thought out uh, their reasons and it's a thoughtful, well-reasoned approach, right, that's all that we can ask for. It doesn't necessarily be – it might not be something you agree with, um, but as long as it's, uh, you know, an inclusive thought and it's well-rounded and it's well thought out and the players understand why they're doing things, that's the best thing that you can get out of – out of coaching and developing those relationships with your players. Um, and then uh, hopefully down the road, um, they'll come back to you and say, Hey, you know, coach, I, I really appreciated you helping me think out these things. Right. And so, um, you know, whatever, whatever stance your players take in terms of, you know, if it's social justice or um, even, you know, things that aren't as, you know, as, as large as that in our world um, as the coach, uh, teaching your players to to be thoughtful and purposeful with their lives and, and what they do um, is going to serve them so much more value than anything you teach them on the court, um, especially in our world of instant communication and social media and, and things like that. So, um, you know, don't don't forget that we're developing people, not players. Yeah, it's a great thought and a great thing to keep in mind, especially because so many coaches on the court myself included, want to have our players think about the decisions they're making on the court, why they're making that decision, and, and think about the, the implications of, of doing this or not doing this on the court, that it only makes sense that we would carry that same thought over to 
off the court decisions and off the court actions that our players make. And, and like you said, if they're informed, well thought out and well reasoned, then whatever side we may fall on that issue is, is almost irrelevant because at least they thought it through and at least they're able to articulate why they're thinking the way that they are. And so, yeah, coaches, I think if you can create that environment where they're able to think and articulate for themselves, like on the court and off the court, uh, we're, we're doing our job and growing better people, exactly like you said. So, yeah, that's great. So I want to thank you so much again for, for sharing some insight uh, into coaching and specifically in youth camps and youth programs. There's so many great ideas and so many things, especially for young coaches or new coaches who can kind of just jump in and, and try and make a positive impact, even if, you know, they're not going to be the ones who see the fruit of it. I hope that they all will, but uh, there's just a lot of great ideas and a lot of great things that we can take from this moving forward. So uh, coach Blazing, I know, I know that you're uh, going to be doing the principalship now. So <laughs> I know that the coaching isn't going to be a, as frequent, but uh, hopefully you're, you're going to get involved a little bit in a gym or see a gym a little bit uh, this year and good luck with everything going forward. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be a little bit less. I'm going to try to find uh, right now, you know, this is we're recording this before the school year is officially started. So right now in my head, I'll be able to carve out a little time here and there. I'm sure once we get into it, it's probably not going to be as easy as I think. But uh, I'm definitely hoping to, to get my fix that way. So I'll throw out there too. my Twitter handle uh, is at Coach Blazing, B-L-A-S-I-N-G. Um, so feel free to reach out to me and I'll um, Put the, I'll try to put together some stuff here uh, uh, as you release this podcast, and um, I'll be you know very willing to share any any type of uh, ideas, youth you know manuals, anything that I've done. Um, feel free, uh, very willing to share that out and take take what you will from it, and uh, just hit me up on Twitter, and, and I'll be be willing to get back to you. Awesome. I'll definitely make sure to include that. So thank you so much for that. And thank you guys so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. This was another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. We will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.